Hey, this is Pastor Jesse of City Lights Church, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We hope that it inspires you and confirms the fact that the kingdom of God is a present reality in our lives that you get to live out. You get to be God's ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. That's exciting news. We also hope that our messages challenge your identity to help you understand who you really are in Christ. I hope that you're blessed by this message today. I went to Bible college uh, from 2003 to 2007 uh, for my bachelor's degree, and I'm actually thankful to be working on my master's again now at college. And the thing, though, is I remember the end, the day that I graduated. um, I graduated in December 2007, and I walk across the stage, and the president of the college is there, and he shakes your hand, he hands you a diploma, but the other person beside the president, I forget what he was, the dean of something, uh, something important. He had a big hat and a lot of flowing robes and stuff. It was, he was important. Um, so I got a degree, I got a diploma, a piece of paper uh, in a nice little folder um, from the president, and I also got this from the dean of something. Um, can you guys tell what this is? It's a towel. It's, it's just a towel. Um, it's not even that big of a towel. It's not like cashmere or anything fancy. Um, it simply says, Christ our example of servanthood, John 13, 3 through 17. And then, of course, their logo, LBC, a gift to the Alumni Association. So there we go. Look at that. Uh, I got a towel for $40,000. I got a towel um, and a piece of paper in a folder. Um, how many of you guys feel that way about your education sometimes? But the thing about my graduation is it wasn't just like a graduation day. It was a commissioning. Because at Lancaster Bible College, you're not there for just a degree. You're there for a commissioning into ministry. That they have said, this person has gone through the training to be ready for ministry. And so here, go into ministry. Here's a piece of paper and a towel. This is what you need. Good job, you're a pastor now. Like, that's what they give me, right? And, and I left there thinking, I'm going to hang on to this towel because one day it'll, it might mean something. And, and this morning, I feel like this towel means something. And, and I hope that this towel, I'm not giving it to you, I'm not ripping it up, but I hope it'll mean something to you as well this morning. Go to Matthew chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, the one in the pew in front of you is yours to keep. We want you to have one. Um, if the one right in front of you is a little wrinkly, go to the pew beside you and take one if you like that one better. Um, that's the way I would do it. But anyway, Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Or se- sorry, yeah, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born, so this is after Jesus was born, in case you didn't know. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the, in, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them, Where is the Christ to be born? So we're gonna, I'm going to pause there for a second. This morning, what I want to point out is we are not talking about, what do you think we're talking about this morning? Just curious. Anybody have a guess? Ben, Ben, you know. We're not talking about the wise men today. We're not talking about the wise men. We're talking about the other person in this story, Herod. It says this, the wise men came in the days of Herod the king. It says Herod the king in that verse. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Hey, where is he who was born 
king of the Jews. Well, the question is, well, the strange thing about this is, Herod is king of the Jews. And so a group of these kings from another country show up in front of Herod and say, hey, where's the king at? And he's like, um, I'm kind of king of the Jews. What are you talking about? Well, there's, there's this, we saw his star. Where's this king at? And so Herod gets troubled, it says. He's troubled and all Jerusalem with him. What do you mean, where's the king? What is this prophecy? Now, I want to I kind of give you a context here. Prophecy then meant something, especially to the Jews, right? Prophecy's prophecy. It was biblical prophecy. That means it's going to happen. And so like today, if you would go into a king's courtroom, go in front of him and say, hey, I heard a prophecy. I'm looking for a king. He would probably think you're insane and just say, move along. But that's not what he did. He was troubled by this. That meant there was some validity to it. There was something to question and wrestle with. And so Herod, who is the king of the Jews, is approached with somebody saying, hey, where's the king of the Jews? And he goes, what? Help me figure this out. Does that make sense? I want, I want you to get in Herod's shoes for a second. Because when we hear, as Christians, when we hear the word Herod, we just instantly are struck with like, ooh, boo. Like, he's from a Disney, he's a Disney villain. We just boo. Everybody hates him right away. Like, Herod was a man who was given authority, and somebody says, hey, where's the guy with the real authority here? He's wondering what's happening here. Starting back up in verse 5. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, so, so, for so it is written by the prophet, O you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came the rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. That's the end of the story of the wise men. They come, they worship, they give, and God gives them a dream. Don't go back to Herod. Now when they had departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. He sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region that were two years old or under, according to the time that they had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. That's a happy Christmas passage, isn't it? It's an intense one.
we look at this passage and we have to ask, who, who was this man? What, what evil, what, what a villain, what pain in Israel, what pain to those people to have your two-year-old son taken and murdered, and not just one, but across the land, mass murder, because wise men came and said, hey, we saw a star because there's going to be a new king. Where is he at? Mass destruction brokenness. Who is this man? I want to give you a few facts about Herod the Great. He was appointed by Rome because Rome was over this area. Rome was the empire. Rome was the primary ruler. And he was appointed by Rome to rule over the Jews. Go over that section. Rule over that people. You are part of them. Rule over them. When he was 25 years old. 25 years old, he's made king. Some of you guys at 25 years old, you can't figure out what Starbucks you want. Like, it's, it's too much to, to process. Do I get a latte or a cappuccino? Mm, it's going to ruin my day. Herod is king over the Jews at 25 years old. In, in 14 BC, or 42 BC, his father, Antipater, was murdered, leaving Herod with his position, right? So... Not only is he young and in charge, but his dad, who was in charge, is murdered. Okay? How many of you guys had a father who was murdered? Don't put your hands up, but I doubt many of you. Because I don't want to scar you if you actually are the ones putting your hands up right now. Um, I can guess that if my dad was murdered because he was the pastor of City Lights, which is the highest part of authority that I have in my life... Um, if, if he was, and then I became the next pastor at City Lights, I might be a little skeptical of all of you if you murdered my dad. I could guess, though, if that my dad was murdered and I stepped into his shoes, I might be a little skeptical of people, right? Some of you have had wounds where people have betrayed you, and they didn't murder anybody, and you were constantly on edge, like ready to just defend, to attack. To, to just build your own thing, right? So I can kind of guess that Herod's a little bit paranoid. Just a bit, right? His actions, though, at the beginning of his, his reign are pretty fierce and pretty orderly. He, he restores order, actually. Uh, he's a bit of a paranoid ruler. But, and he governed with absolute authority, squashing rebellions left and right. But during this time, there was peace in the land. It was pretty peaceful. He also did some weird things during this peaceful time. Like he was so paranoid that he murdered his own sons and his wife. Um, his favorite wife, actually. It's, scholars specifically say his favorite wife. So he had others, but he murdered his favorite one. If I knew I wasn't his favorite wife, I would try to be fixing that problem, right? Just, I'm just trying to get into his mind a little bit. But there's this peace that's happening, Right? Herod also did some really good stuff. Other than peace, other than ruling with an iron fist and being a little bit paranoid, he was the one that made major improvements to the temple in Jerusalem beyond any other improvements that had ever been done. And in fact, they consider it an astounding feat. And so Jews had given him their hearts in a sense because he fixed their place of worship in a way that they didn't even expect. So he won them by fixing their place of worship to God, right? He also did things to meet the people's needs. He wasn't just the dictator who killed kids. He actually did things that were good. So he provided for them out of his own personal finances. He would 
help them in times of famine. He cared for the neglected, and he brought jobs to the area. That will win you a presidential election right there. So he brought jobs, and he also murdered babies and his family. It was confusing. He also was a person who followed strict observance to the Jewish customs, the Jewish distinctives. He he enforced their laws. He wanted no idolatry in the area. Any form of idolatry, just gone. Just wipe it out of there. Let's stick to the law. In fact, when his sister wanted to marry somebody, I think it was a man who was an Arab, that man refused to be circumcised, so he banned their wedding because her husband wouldn't get circumcised. That wedding can't happen. He followed the religious laws. He built a temple. He fed the poor. He reached out to the marginalized. He gave jobs, and he was paranoid and crazy at the same time. This was a confusing person. And then from the years... 13 B.C. to 4 A.D., then all of a sudden back to executions and family disputes and clashes with Rome. And then all of a sudden, instead of keeping idolatry out of the temple, let's put the symbol of Roman power, the eagle, over the gate of the temple. And then next thing you know, the Jewish culture begins to get mad at him again. There's this constant back and forth with his own people. You guys see the picture here. There's this bit of paranoia. There's, my dad was murdered. I'm paranoid. I'm sitting on the throne. I don't trust my wife. I don't trust my kids. I'm going to help the people. I want to win my kingdom. I want to build my kingdom. I want to keep this thing safe, and I want to look good doing it unless I'm terrified that I'll kill everybody. That's the mindset of Herod. His priority was establishing his own kingdom, not the kingdom of heaven. Every, I'll, I'll build a temple unless it doesn't help me. I'll follow all the laws. I'll follow all the rules and I'll ban circumcision. I'll ban uh, idolatry and, and graven images except if it helps me get promotion. Put that symbol for Rome up. That makes me look better to the eyes of the Roman leaders. It makes sense. You guys follow me with me here this morning. He's establishing his own kingdom. And then we see this baby show up. Who is this baby? I want you to look at Isaiah, the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9. Starting in verse 6. You can follow along on the screen if you want. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. I want to stop there for a second. Most of the time, like if you look at world history, if there's an increase of government, there's not an increase of peace. War creates the increase of government. Make sense? But here, with this child, the increase of government and the increase of peace work together. It goes against any other kind of kingdom. To establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the prophetic word about this child. And Jesus shows up and he says, I'm building another kingdom that will be eternal and I'll bring eternal peace. The governments will sit on my shoulder. This, I'm the, he's the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. You can't use those same words to describe Herod. You you can't use those same descriptions for him. It's a different kingdom. 
See, Jesus came and he came with an eternal kingdom of peace. Jesus has given us access right now. We've preached about this before. That his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Like God has already come through Christ to bring his kingdom to us. And if we're Christians, if we're Christ-like, if we're Christ followers, we model the kingdom of peace. We have access to an eternal kingdom that will never end. His, his throne never ends. How many people have tried to stop Christianity? Tried to stop the move of God's people and it doesn't happen. The scripture says it never will happen. We are an eternal kingdom. And one day he will completely restore everything. See, we have access to an eternal kingdom and yet we still try to control these temporal things that don't really matter. We still try to build up our own kingdom. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, we see this. The, the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in an approachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Christ has come in the form of a baby with an eternal kingdom. And Herod, who has struggled and been paranoid and defensive and done everything he could in his own might, is trying to build his own kingdom, right? And Christ comes with an eternal kingdom that looks very different than what he could do. I, I forgot to mention this about Herod. One of the things that Herod did was, as he was dying, he was mourning, or he was, he was about to die, and he realized he was so hated at this point that nobody would mourn him. So he decided to have all of his high officials murdered so that there would be mourning in the land when he died. That's weird. <laughs> That's disturbed. There's a man who wants something he can never get in his own. He's going after a kingdom in his own strength, in his own paranoia, and he cannot make this thing last. And when he knows it's the end, he's like, well, somebody should cry, and they're not crying for me, so they're gonna, I'm going to kill everybody. This is a self-made kingdom, and Jesus, is, Jesus doesn't do that at all. The model of this Messiah, the model of Christ, is completely different. It's a completely different kingdom. Jesus brought a different kingdom. It's not one that defends itself. It's, it's already established. I want you to understand, this is, the kingdom of God is not God versus Satan. All right? Because if we make it God versus Satan, we put them on an equal playing field. God has already won. Satan, his, his death, his destruction is already sealed. It's finalized. And he knows that. So it's like he's already tapped out on the mats. And he's just trying to pinch you as you walk by. Like, Satan's already defeated. We cannot view God and Satan as equal in this. Like, that song that we sing, he has no rival, he has no equal. That's truth, right? So, when we realize that God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, they are victorious, that the one triune God has already won this thing, that his throne is eternal, then anything the enemy does is just, it's, it's weak, it's false, it's quick, it's temporal, it's, it's only for a second. It's a very different kingdom. They're not equals. He's already won. But what does the kingdom of God look like? How is it different? Matthew, the same, the same book that we're looking at here, Matthew chapter 20 says this, and Jesus called them to him, and he said, he's talking about his disciples, and he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. 
even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That doesn't make sense. Jesus tells his disciples, hey, you understand this authority system thing and like the king exercises authority by telling you what to do and bossing you around and not caring about your heart, not caring about your family. That's what these kings do. But this is not how my disciples, this is not how my kingdom is. Instead, if you want to be high in the kingdom, you serve. You grab your servant's towel and you wash some feet. That's what Jesus did. He says, like the Son of Man came not to be served, but to to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He dies on a cross. I love N.T. Wright points this out about this passage here. He says, before the Prince of Peace had learned to walk and talk, he was already a homeless refugee with a price on his head. That's what the story is. When we look at the story of the wise men coming and, and the angels appearing to Joseph and saying, hey, go, go get, go to Egypt because Herod wants to kill him. Jesus, the eternal king, God in the flesh, is a baby who can't walk and talk and he's a refugee who's sought to be murdered. And so often we feel bad about where, how, what we feel like in life. Well, my boss is out to get me. The son of God had a price on his head. To where every baby in the area was murdered. I think Jesus knows what you're going through. Recently, I quote Bill Clinton, I feel your pain. Like, Jesus is the ultimate, I feel your pain. Like, the Son of God, the King of Kings, came not as a victorious warrior establishing a throne and beating people and telling them where to go and then making peace after the mess. Instead, he's like, he came in a, as a baby with a price on his head. Do you understand this? It's a different kingdom. And Herod's trembling because he doesn't understand it and he's trying to stop it. I love this morning that we sang, Be Enthroned. And I realized in there it says, A God who sacrificed. Every other God in all other human existence has been you, the person sacrifices to the God to get something. Instead, God in heaven looked at you and said, I'm making a sacrifice for you to get something. I'm sacrificing myself, my son, for your sake so that you can have eternal life. It's backwards. It's a kingdom flipped. When Christ, when heaven meets earth, he says, your kingdoms are wrong. Let me establish my kingdom. I'm doing a new kingdom. The way you get authority is the wrong way to get authority. Let me show you how I get authority. I come and I serve and I love and I reach and I, and I embrace the oppressed and I feed the hungry and I heal the sick. I wash their feet. I eat with prostitutes and tax collectors and murderers. I sit with them and I break bread with them. That is the kingdom of heaven. So when we look at Christmas, when we look at this story, we have to see this. It's a different kingdom. Christmas comes to you and it says to you, where is the king of the world? And so often we know that it's, it's not really us, but we still try to make it us. Mom? <laughs> This is a family church. I love it. We're just, we got all kinds of things happening on Sunday morning. It's good. So often, we know that we're not the king of the world, but yet we make the king of our world, don't we? We make ourselves the king of our own world. We fight for our raises at work. We, we take shortcuts to get ahead of our employees or the people in line at Walmart. We, we do whatever we can to get what we want. We become verbally defensive. Maybe we're not physically defensive, but 
often we become verbally defensive. We spend more time, time trying to control or protect our kids than we do teaching them about the values of heaven. If I could just control them, if I could just, if I could just get them to do these things, or if I could just keep them safe, and really God's given them as a gift to us so that we can teach them to control themselves and to model the kingdom of heaven to them. Like, we spend way too much time on the wrong things. Our waking thought in the morning often is, how do I get what I want today? Or, or maybe it's how do I keep what I got? We're constantly in this defensive, conquering, build my own kingdom mode. And it didn't work for Herod. And he had a kingdom. How is that going to work for us when Christ says, I'm giving you the, my kingdom? I'm inviting you into mine. Like, come into this thing. Stop fighting. Christmas says, I don't care if the emperor of Rome puts you on the throne, but Jesus is the king of kings. He is the only good king. He's the only good king. It doesn't matter what you have been given in this life. Do you recognize what he has given you for eternity? Do you recognize what he is doing? So often, I would even challenge us on this, so often, just like Herod, we spend time building the temple but what we really care about is building our fame we attend church we do all the classes we read the the devotionals but we're still not actually trying to build the kingdom of god we're trying to build the kingdom of us we're trying to make ourselves feel happy and good we feed the poor but we're really feeding our egos nobody wanted to say a word on that one (laughs) see advent is jesus telling us stop trying to build your own kingdom and just just yield to mine yield to my kingdom not not that any of those things are wrong i want you to hear me i I want you to hear me see you might say well jesse those are good things that we're doing those are good things that we're trying to protect and and I get that. See, even Peter was protecting a good thing when he was swinging a sword at the Romans trying to defend Jesus. And what's Jesus' response to him? Peter, put your sword down. This is not how we do it. The kingdom of God is not defending or building these good things. It's going after his heart. It's listening that he is already established. He is Lord of lords. And I will yield, I will surrender, I will put down my crowns, and I will take up my towel. I'll say, Father, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. See, God is not against you. I want you to hear me this morning. God is not against you having a good life or having nice things or having authority. He wants to give Christians authority. I firmly believe that. I believe that so many of the issues in our current society is because Christians haven't actually taken the authority that God's trying to give them. We should be the leaders in every area of society bringing kingdom values and kingdom servanthood into everything. We lead from a position of humility and servanthood. I believe if the church actually got that concept, every employer would want to hire more Christians. That's why my friends out at Bethel in California, employers call their church to say, hey, do you have any more students? Because they are good workers. They know how to serve. They know how to love. They know how to take care of the customers. What if the Christian church across America and across the globe actually got that concept? That would be amazing. Heaven meets earth and says, stop building your own kingdom. Start building 
and living in his eternal kingdom. It's come, it's met us, it's different, and we gotta meet it, we gotta walk in this thing, we gotta respond to it. I doubt any of you have been in the murder business, I hope anyway. Um, I I don't know of any murderers here, but even if so, many of you have had your spirits crushed or you have crushed the spirits of others all in the name of self-preservation. You haven't murdered anybody, but you have destroyed people. I think we've all done that in some capacity. And this morning, I want to challenge us in this story as we look at this. So often we want to make ourselves the wise men in this because the wise men are beautiful, they're kings, they're on camels, and that's cool, and they have gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I'm not really sure what myrrh is, Um, we, we like that side. They worship and they have dreams. But none of us connect to the Herod of the story that establishes our own kingdom, that fights for what we think is ours. And Jesus has come to interrupt us from building our own kingdoms and go after his. Does that make sense this morning? Would the worship team come forward? Like I said, God is not against you having authority or nice things. But he is against you being your own king. And that's not because he's ruthless or because he's jealous. It's because he's good. And we're not. He is the only good king. He is against you building a kingdom of self-preservation or slavery. A kingdom of warfare. He's against that. Why? Because what scriptures say? He who the Son is set free is free indeed. So God cannot be for slavery and freedom at the same time. It doesn't make sense. That's not who he is. So this passage in Isaiah says that he is the prince of peace. You can't go after war and be a prince of peace at the same time. He came and he suffered and he bled and he died. He sacrificed everything so that we could come into a new reality, a new kingdom. Christmas time is the time for us to recognize that there is a beautiful, eternal kingdom where Christ is seated, we are forgiven, we are empowered, and we are, lo- we are loved. That's the reality of this season. Would you stand with me this morning? Are you guys all right? I know this might have been a hard Christmas word for some of you. I'm talking about death and murder and anger and building your own kingdoms. I want to ask you this morning, in your story today, are you the wise men who come and kneel before the true king? Or are you Herod who's willing to do whatever it takes to protect your false kingdom? In the song Defender that we were singing earlier, it said, your love becomes my greatest defense. What if we stop becoming our greatest defenders and we let his love become our greatest defenders? Can we lay down our crowns and can we pick up our towels? Can we serve like he did? Can we love the poor and the oppressed? Can we stop worrying about what we've earned? I, I, I hate that. I hate that term. Well, you, you didn't deserve that or I deserve this. Okay? Compared to who? Compared to what? Because in the grand scheme of things, I don't deserve anything, but God has given me favor and blessings. I've received love. Like, so can we, can we stop fighting for what we deserve and simply surrender our crowns to the King of Kings this morning? That's what the season is. The King with a new kingdom has come and he sits, sits on the throne. Let's worship this morning.